0: This week on Dig Me Out,
1: evil, your people, like we already
0: out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi,
2: Jay, uh, joining us this week We have uh, a returning champion to the podcast, uh, someone that we spoke to last year that uh, we're uh, happy to have back, John Davis of uh, the Leaves of Memory, also was in a band people might have heard of, Superdrag. Leaves of Memory have a new record coming out very soon, and uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to dedicate this whole hour to just talking about this record. John, welcome back to the show.
3: Yeah, it's great to be back. Appreciate
2: it. So Jay and I, we are both the, the Pledge people like that got the advanced uh, you know, copies of the of the album. So we've been listening to it for the past couple weeks since the MP3s were uh, released. And um, we've had some time to soak it in, so we'd like to go through and, and talk about each of the tracks. But before we do so, um, I kind of want to get an idea of... What the process was in terms of where these songs—I guess—were uh, any of the songs left over from the first sessions on *Sisyphus Says*, or was this all new material that was written?
3: Some of them go back a ways. Like uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to go over the, the list in my mind, but there were definitely some that weren't necessarily intended for the first album, but that were kind of written. Because that was kind of a, a long, drawn-out process, too. Like, even in times when we couldn't work on it, there were still new songs. And there was, you know, some of these were around in, like, you know, 2013, 2014. Matter of fact, one of the songs was, like, I think I came up with it in, like, 2007. And I always wanted to do something with it. It was kind of, like, maybe intended for, like, a would-be super drag album
4: oh. kind
3: of thing when that was when that was still a possibility you know but it just didn't fit on says and didn't really it just didn't fit with anything else we did um, until now so but yeah there, you know they were uh, there was a, a pile of, of material that we didn't even get into on the last record and some of those we used this time, and some we didn't use at all. You know, if, if any of the listeners have seen my little Bandcamp page right. that I do, a lot of the songs that we didn't use on one record or the other, they can hear um, kind of scattered around there. I just like to get stuff out of the way so I can do more stuff. You know, right. so that, mm. that, that thing has been awesome. Like, I really like being able to mix something and put it on the internet within five minutes, you know, and just be done with it. <laughs> like, if, if it was left up to me, that's probably how all the lead records would be. There, there, there would never be eight months in between overdubs, you know? <laughs> Which is kind of what we got into this time, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious about the the process in terms of, how you use the pledge campaign is it strictly for um paying for like say the pressings and the and the, the various you know the cds and vinyls and t-shirts and that sort of thing or are you actually using that towards recording and mixing and and that aspect of the process
3: well it's, a, it's actually both we have an arrangement with nick um that was that was agreed upon like way ahead of time before we even realized that we wouldn't end up finishing the record down there and so you know we, we have we, we have to get that squared away and then you know we have to take care of toss to wrap everything up mix and master and do all that and then um, yeah you know actually pressing up the, the records and the CDs and the shirts and you know basically, we just want to break even that's really all that's that's all we really want to do i mean i i can't i can't make too much of an investment
1: <laughs> you know right. uh we
3: we're just not we, it's, we're just not in that position um so the pledge thing was excellent i mean we we've just been super stoked just the uh, it's just a- you know just the direct, just the, like the path of least resistance kind of thing. And our, the, the, our project manager, Pledge, has been helping us out. It's been super pro and on top of everything. And uh, as from my personal perspective, I really like having the opportunity to, like, you know, offer the artwork along with it and whatever else. You know, stuff that, you know, normally when you deal with a label, they're not going to sell your painting to, <laughs> you, you Right know, or whatever. like it's cool to be able to offer that you know and and i think that the cover painting sold on the first day which was cool you know that, that i was excited about that like i said i'm super impatient when it comes to this stuff like as soon as as soon as i write something i want to release it and and like complete the circuit and move on to the next thing it, every single time it's like it drives me nuts to sit on 10 songs, you know, for two years before anybody can, gets to hear them. Hmm. Uh, so the whole thing with like press and, pressing records up and making CDs and all this stuff, you know, I feel like that's, that's a way, that's like a, a service that we can provide for people that, that are interested in having those actual things, you know, but I really like being able to just... You know, the second we had Master in hand, boom, it was out and people could hear it. You know, that's another thing I really liked about the Pledge thing. It was cool. So it was exactly what we needed. So.
2: Excellent. Very thankful. <laughs> Jay, do you have any big picture stuff you wanted to bring up before we get into the. Yeah,
0: song? the big the biggest one would be. Um, so th- this album is in mono, correct? Yep. Can you explain that decision? That's pretty. That's pretty different. <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> you know, I I do a ton of home recording, like hmm. as often as possible, and um, I never pan anything ever. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> it's 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 always mono, and it's just like my personal preference. The whole thing came up kind of on a whim when we were still working down at Nick's, you know, actually what, what happened was we did, um, the same day that we recorded, like the title track for this record. And there's another song called XL2. That same recording mm-hmm. session we did, um, the last 45 that we released on, uh, velocity of sound, which is that, um, ain't no changing baby's mind was the A side. And he mixed both of those songs in mono. Cause I asked him to. And I, I just loved the way found it sounded. And basically, I kind of challenged him to mix the whole record in and it, and he was out. He didn't end up mixing it. But that kind of, like, planted the seed. So in my mind, from that point forward, it was like, cool. I mean, not very many people do that. It's, you know, it's kind of a... It is kind of an unusual thing to do. That's just the way, I, just a, the way I, I would prefer to present it that way. So, yeah, it just and nobody, no, no, nobody had, had any serious objections,
0: so we <laughs> did it. I just want to throw that out there because I know for me, it it kind of threw me for a minute, and I was wondering if there was something wrong with my ears or <laughs> if uh, the files I downloaded, but. Um, at first, you don't really notice it. It's interesting. Uh, you know, it took me three songs or so to where I started to, you know, started to notice, especially with headphones on. Um, and then at that point, I think I asked Tim, like, is there something wrong with these fi- the files that you download? <laughs> I'm, I think they're in mono, and he's like, yeah, yeah. John just said on Facebook the album's in mono, and I was like, oh, okay. I was just making sure there wasn't something. With my files, but it was, it was definitely different it' was interesting it, it 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 um I'll just say from a high level it just makes it a different listening experience than than I guess uh, what I was used to so from that i I think it was uh it was a cool decision to do it I think sonically it does some different things that uh stereo recording wouldn't do um just in terms of it sounds it sounds big in a different way, which mm-hmm. is interesting yeah. So.
3: Yeah. You well, know, you know, a lot of the... Uh, when I think about, you know, records that are mixed like an extreme stereo, where you have, you know, all the vocals hard-panned up to one side of all the... You know, like, yeah. obviously the Beatles records, you know, in the 60s would be a, a, the, the probably prime example. A lot of times, man, that stuff gets on my nerves. Like, it to me, it takes away from... Mm. I almost always prefer their records in the mono version, Um, Mm. or you know, you know another another song that comes to mind is like, or another record that comes to mind is like Zeppelin Two. You know, there's a ton of like stereo and just crazy panning back and forth. You know, a lot of love, like (laughs) stuff stuff flying back and forth, which Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it definitely has its place, but it kind of always kind of bugs me. So selfishly, like I took the opportunity to, to mix it in mono. And I mean, I, I definitely didn't want to bum anybody out by doing that. I know some people have already said, Hey, we'll pledge again. If you will put it out in stereo.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask. Uh, about that.
3: Which, so we've been trying to do, our our friend Mike Purcell, who helped us finish the record and did all of the mixing mastery, uh, just for his own benefit, like, because he wanted to hear certain ones of stereo, he started making alternate versions that work stereo, and he's cool with us sharing them. So we may end up with a stereo version before it's all over. Um, or, you know, if by some chance we end up having to press more records, maybe, you know, this would, the second pressing, maybe we would do a stereo. I don't know, but...
0: Well, I want to we'll
3: make everybody happy if we can. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, I guess I, my last point before getting the record is just that uh, if technology gives us anything uh, going forward with music, I'd love to see, you know, artists play a little bit more with mixing and mastering as either having different versions or different interpretations of the same music. I, I think there's it could be a really I don't know. It's an area that nobody really has touched yet just because it's been so expensive in the past to you know, obviously press lots of records but in different varieties, but I don't know. There's I I get a lot of records like, Wow, I wish for you know, I could get a version of this that was not as compressed, you know, because I'm listening to it on a certain system that it would sound great if it just didn't have so much compression. There's other records where I'm like, I wish this was compressed more (laughs) or, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, if you if there's a way that you can do that, I think that would be innovative in itself as well so
2: jay if you want more compression just throw it in garage band and put a bunch of compression on it <laughs> <laughs> there you, that's how you do it
0: well, the other way around is the hard part
2: where yeah, yeah taking the compression off let's get into the record let's talk about track one any way but down can you give us a little bit of history on this song uh the the writing and and where it comes from from that standpoint
3: I've been doing this again lately. I don't know if you guys have seen me goofing around on Facebook, Um, but I do a lot of writing in my head while I'm mowing the yard. Yes. Um, and I've been kind of making a thing out of it lately where I'm going to try for the rest of the summer, I'm going to try to write something every time I do the yard work just to see what I end up with. Um, But if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that was one of those songs. At least that little guitar figure, like in the intro and the verse, I know for sure that just popped into my head while I was in my own yard. Hmm. Pusher writing. (laughs) (laughs) And then I came in here and, uh, you know, picked up a guitar and tried to, you know, figure it out. And I think it was just... um, at that point, like, I, I think it was pretty quick to do. I want to say, like, within half an hour, the, I mean, I had the four track turned on. I was putting it down. So I usually trust those the most, the ones that just kind of like themselves.
2: I wonder if that's if there's like a subconscious thing with the rhythm of the mower engine. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, I do a lot of my best thinking
3: when I'm out there. I think it's probably just because I don't know. It's, it's kind of like I, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the drone probably has something to do with it.
0: So um, you're not tempted to put on headphones and listen to music or uh, the radio, talk radio, or something while you're No,
3: no I never do that because because you, you can't hear it very well. You know, yeah. even if it's even if it's tagged, it's like hard to hear. So.
2: Do you have a lot to mow? Like, are we talking a couple acres? or Like, how much time do you have?
3: Uh, We've got, we got about an acre or so. Okay. Like, 1.3 or something like that. So, you know, I mean, it takes me to do everything, you know, including, like, trimming, blowing off the driveway and all that. I mean, it's a couple hours worth of work, so.
2: Okay. See, that doesn't work. I only have a quarter of an acre, so I'm done pretty quick. I wouldn't make it through a verse and a chorus oh. of a,
3: oh, man. a song. <laughs> well, maybe you know, maybe you come up with an intro or something. There so you go. In the house and like figure
2: out I just do it. In, in, it'll take four or five weeks, and I'll get all the parts. There you go. But that that uh,
0: that guitar figure at the beginning and just the way the vocal uh, plays off of that. The moment I heard that, maybe forty seconds into the record, I'm like, I'm in like yeah this is this is working um you're saying like uh the the vocal just sounded different um a little bit like you were in a range or in a register that at least in that opening uh bit there that i hadn't heard before and a melody that i hadn't heard you do before so it definitely grabbed me it was um a little unexpected even um so i was definitely got me amped up for the record and uh yeah, I, th- I think it's a really cool, um, not only way to set the song, but it ends up playing out and to be a really strong song. Well, man, I'm stoked! Like that's uh, that's exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is kind of it's
3: kind of a different vocal, and I was I was thinking about this like when we actually got it back, you know, when we got it all back and could actually listen it down as a whole, you know, and it, it occurred to me. That it is kind of a different way of singing than what I normally do, but you know, I think the best you can do is just you know step in there and just sing it how you're feeling at the time, mm-hmm. and that, that's what I did. Um, that that was one of the very last things we did actually. That those vocals because we had we cut all basically all of the music except for a couple of dubs out of Nick's place and then we finished it up here um, at County Q so you know that's a weird that, that's a weird way to record when you have 7-8 months in between you know in between the, the music and the vocal mm-hmm. but uh, you know I'm sure I'm sure we'll probably get into how all that happened. But um, yeah, it just seemed like, I think at the time, even before it had a vocal on it, I think when we were out there at Rock Fountain, I'm pretty sure it was Nick's act that suggested opening the record with it. And it seemed like the, the most natural opener. Yep.
2: And it, and it feels like familiar yet new is, is an odd way of putting it in the sense that especially when you get to the chorus of that song like it reminded me of the first super drag record but yet had a new twist on it like that that thumping kick drum and the that very dr- that driving guitar part like sounded like something off like i don't know, like the first one or two tracks off of that first record but um, mm-hmm. just a different vibe do you have do you have like times when you're like oh I you know came up with this riff and you're playing and you're like wait a minute I've this this is this I've already I've already done this mm. where you have to worry yeah, about yeah. like repeating you yourself
3: see, that's definitely happened to me before uh and I try to you know if I recognize that I basically shift it and immediately because I don't I don't want to do that you know <laughs> uh or, or, um, it, it happened a lot of times with, um, I guess with either a guitar part or less less often with a vocal thing, but like, you know, you, after, um, I don't want to necessarily date myself. People know I'm all, an old man, but, uh, like I've been playing guitar for thir- over 30 years. So I'm kind of I try to push myself forward always, but there you know there are just certain baseline things that I just do when I pick up a guitar, you know, or that occur are naturally occurring. So I, I, I try not to do them the same way in two two different songs, but yeah, that's, that's definitely happened before. <laughs> I've had to, or, you know, worse is when you discover, oh, it's someone else's song. It's something somebody else already did. You know, I guess. Let's talk something about. Something that can't be helped.
2: Right. Well, especially, you know, I, I read an interview with, I think it was Bill Janovitz of Buffalo Tom. He said he had to consciously stop playing a C chord when you pick up the guitar. Because every time he'd pick up a guitar, yeah. the first thing he'd strum is a C, because that was what he was comfortable with. But then he always led him to writing with a C chord, and he had to like stop doing it so that he right. would get out of his, his rut or his pattern.
3: Um, right, because there's just, there's just certain patterns that sound sound best. Right, you, know, you have to con- you have to make an effort
2: not to do those. <laughs> and, and do you recognize like what keys are best for you to sing in, or do you just not pay attention to that?
3: I don't know that I really do pay that much attention to it because a lot of times, uh, you know, I'll write something that's like sh- super high or super low. That's i make it hard on myself without without meaning to. Excuse me. And I think sometimes that's like a byproduct of doing a lot of writing without an instrument in your hands. You know, like you can you can sit around and just think about a set of chord changes in a tune. Yeah, I mean sometimes I'll, I'll spend a week thinking about something before I ever actually try to play it. So then hmm. by the time you actually get an, a guitar in your hand, you know it's a whole different deal. Like a lot of the times when I, you know, I'm kind of known for these four-track recordings. It's just kind of my thing that people are doing. But a lot of times I'll still be, you know, I'll be putting down drums and still writing the song in in my mind. So then a lot of times I'm in a hurry. So, you know I haven't I haven't sung the song until it's time to put the vocal on so it's then that I find out oh man this is hard to sing (laughs) I mean I do that to myself quite a bit so I don't really I don't really put much forethought into you know oh it needs to be in a certain register or a certain key it just kind of ends up wherever it ends up
2: well that's interesting because I was going to move into track two which is uh no power and that's one where Mm -hmm. it's kind of a it it leads you to believe it's going to be a a up-tempo song and then when you get to the verses it drops down into that lower what you just mentioned part it's quieter you're singing lower Um, I'm curious in the process where the lyrics come in are you writing stuff down as you're just as you're writing the song or do you have do you keep Notebooks of phrases that you hear, or anything like that?
3: No, I don't really do anything like that. Um, Sometimes I don't even write them down. uh, Because I've I've, I've, I've thought it through piece by piece, and just kind of memorized it along the way. Uh, So by the time I get ready to sing it, I've, I've thought about it 500 times. And it's not written down. Sometimes it is written down. And definitely, you know, there are times where I sit there and you know spend half a day like trying to get the right words. But most of the time, I—I I mean, with 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 exceptions, like I usually don't spend very much time on on words. They're just there. Hmm just try to be I just try to keep it like as instinctual as possible and just go with huh. like
0: more or less like the first impulse so so as you have the melody you've already got lyrics that you're pretty much committed to yeah I mean I would wow. say 85 percent
3: of the time there may be there may be like you know placeholder stuff that gets fixed but You know, I try to be, I try to, as much as I can, like, I I try to be, just kind of let the subconscious do its thing and just trust whatever comes out, you know? Right.
2: So you never write, like, in, I've read where some people will come up with the title and then use that as a a launching point for what the ideas are going to sort of generate for the verses and the chorus. Um... So you don't? You've never worked that way? Mm, almost never.
3: Like I've done okay. a couple of it, but I'll, probably the closest I've come is maybe like with some of the Epic Ditch stuff. That was that was a the, you know this kind of the opposite where you had like a concept first and then music. Okay. As a, as my a byproduct of like one to make a hardcore band. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to make an 80s hardcore band. <laughs> and then write a bunch of songs. you know. But I know usually t- the title of something oftentimes is like the last decision to be made.
2: Hmm. Okay. I just find that fascinating yeah. because with like XL2, the third track, like that to me seems like a very thought out Lyric throughout the whole thing, like there's a theme to that whole thing, and yeah, there's yeah. all sorts of riffing on the same idea, you know, throughout it, and and playing with it, and it seems like that's not something that you would like go into at the last minute and just sort of haphazardly, you know, stumble upon. Yeah. Well, you
3: know, basically, after I had those first two lines. Uh, the, you know, it was established, and then it was like off to the races. You know, again, that one was that was super quick, as I recall. Like, you know, and I try to. I don't think you ever want your songs to be humorless. You know, but at the same time, like I don't really go for laughs too often. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I'm writing, but uh, that's one example. Like my wife. You know, she hears all this stuff. It, it, I mean, she's probably bored to death with it by the time it actually gets turned into a record, you know. But uh, that that's one song that she has a really hard time taking seriously just because it's a lyric. But, I mean, it's from the heart, you know. I mean, I, I am, like, I like pencil and paper. I like four-track, you know, that's just me, you know. I don't have a, I don't have a fax machine or a pager, <laughs> but, but I did I did take some liberties, but uh, yeah, you know
2: that's artistic license, yes. Well, I mean, yeah, you gotta gotta have
3: a little little room to maneuver.
2: I think by this point, and, and Jay would probably agree with me. I realized that this is not going to be a repeat of the first Lee's yeah. record in the sense that the first three songs are quite clearly showing a, a indebtedness to uh, early '90s shoegaze, with the uh, you know the, the the bending of the tremolo and some of the the mm-hmm. stuff that was going on. Was there a conscious decision to kind of move away from that sound where did you feel like you had sort of like covered that ground already and you didn't really need to go back to it? Because I think some people might have pegged the band as like a you know, a new gaze band or whatever they're, they're referred to these days?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know,
3: without meaning of disrespect, like that's the last thing that I would want to do is be I don't wanna be I don't wanna be restricted to any one idiom, you know. I I have I, and I, I think if people look back over the you know, the long run, like we sort of always react against whatever record we just got done with. It's all we always kinda of ricochet off into some even if it's, it can be like a, a subtle difference. But with, with that record, it, in, 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 in the same way, we just wrote a bunch of songs and picked our, our favorite ones. You know, it it wasn't like a political statement or a, you know, we, we definitely weren't trying to limit ourselves to one, one style. And really, I mean, for me, even that record has it covers a lot of ground stylistically. But those those first two or three songs definitely make a bold statement with the Jazz Masters and the Jaguars, and you know, like you said, the Tremolo Bars. I don't know, man. I I've, I've told this story before. Like, I just um, I got the flu and I missed three days of work. And all I could do was lay on the couch and watch Twin Peaks. So I watched the entire series. Put you know, the pilot, firewalk with me, everything. <laughs> and then I then I wrote like eight songs. <laughs> wow. And that was most of that Cis of the says record. So as much as you know, people have kinda of caught out the M D V thing or Square Driver or different bands, it's like it was Twin Peaks vibes to me. Like when I hear Landslide, like I wanted Landslide or like We Are Siamese. I wanted them. Those songs were supposed to sound like Snoqualmie Falls looks, you know, in the in the in the cre- opening credits. Um, hmm. So yeah, I mean, you know, we keep. We keep uh, We keep hoping that someday we'll we'll get our music in a David Lynch film or or TV show.
2: Well, you know they're bringing Twin Peaks back.
3: Yeah. So yeah, I I I have to do Showtime now (laughs) because I gotta gotta see it.
2: (laughs) You know, you gotta talk to whoever uh, pushes those songs to radio and and, or not radio, uh, TVs and movies and. Tell him to uh, start funneling stuff to David Lynch and.
3: But this record doesn't have the vibe, though. I don't. Know, I don't know if we have the Keats vibes on this record or not.
2: No, well, there's one, and we'll get to it. But um, that kind of has that vibe. <laughs> but uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't sound.
0: Uh, I don't know. It sounds in the same. You know, sort of ballparkish at times. I mean, the guitar tones are similar. It's just not. It, I think your pop side comes out more. that's all. And I think by the time you yeah. get to track three you definitely see okay, John's, you know, back in a little bit of a um I guess the you know, spirit of the Beatles or something, as opposed to uh more of the atmospheric stuff on the last record. It just sounds like a nas- a nice natural progression.
2: Actually, the you know? song that, that song reminded me of Teenage Fan Club. Yeah.
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean there's no denying this. <laughs> I love Teenage Fan Club so much. Like, from the first time I ever heard Teenage Fan Club, they have basically never made a bad record, in my opinion. And I wish I could somehow thank them for their music. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I, I hate telling the same story in every interview, but when we started Super Drag, even way before we started Super Drag. You know, I played with Brandon and Tom in a different band as a drummer. Um, but you know, I had been writing stuff and I had this kind of imaginary band that I wanted to play that was you know, was kind of noisy guitar like Dinosaur Junior but super melodic like the Beatles, you know? And mm-hmm. When I saw a teenage fan club on Saturday Night Live, I I realized they were the Imaginary Band <laughs> that I wanted to play. Mm. They are they already they already have the Imaginary Band covered. Mm. But, uh, they've always been hu- hugely influential on on me for sure. So and I, I actually, oh, uh, I was just going to say this is probably a pretty uncool thing to admit to, but like. I actually became a Big Star fan in reverse due to teenage fan club. Oh,
2: you're like, not the only one.
3: <laughs> man, people said, you know, I remember reading reviews of Band of esque where they're like, oh man, this just, just sounds exactly like Big Star. And I was like, well, mm. if this sounds exactly like Big Star, Big Star must be the best band of all time. You know? <laughs> so then I had to go like track the records down. I mean, I had this special order, the Number one record in Radio City. I mean, um, Raven Records in Knoxville. Todd Steed. Shout out to Todd Steed.
0: But yeah, anyway, I didn't mean to derail the questions. No, I, I think that's how most people have found Big Star, to be honest. Either through R.E.M. or some other
2: band, who The uh, Replacements right. was, was my... Because
0: uh, right. of the Elks Children yeah. song. There you go. So. So, so you mentioned that you were a drummer... Um, and that's something that you hear it on track four stay down. The drums and the bass on this record are very present, maybe more so than I've ever noticed before. I mean I've always uh, you know thought the drumming was great on you know, everything you've done, super drag, especially later area. I love the drum sound and but it just seems like on this record, it maybe what separates it from the the previous uh, record is just the how important and, and big the bass and drum sound is, almost to the point where the drum the guitars take on more of a, a melodic place. They're not as much about. Um, they they kind of share more the the mix, I guess, um, than it, than maybe the last record did, where it's more of a wash of of guitars at times. Was that conscious? Yeah. I think that that came across uh, regardless of the mono concept was that always where you wanted to go with the, the mix of these
3: well I think that's just kind of how the tunes are you know that yeah. it's uh I mean it's not necessarily like spartan or anything but it's pretty mm-hmm. a lot of it's pretty pretty simple you know the yeah there's not I don't there's not a lot of guitar part of most of the time and um you know some I mean, of the songs I, I didn't even play electric guitar on Uh, you know Brandon Eddie Brandon did on some of those but uh, yeah like I think Stay Down is a really good example it's kind of all about the bass and the drums you know through those verses the guitar is just kind of pedaling holding down the the changes but not not doing a whole lot you know the I I think Nick Slack I mean he his his drums on everything Uh, I was just super stoked about, and uh, we actually used a Rickenbacker bass a lot on this record, which I had never played on record before. Um, hmm. But I love the sound, you know. I, I've never uh, never owned one, but Nick had a killer one, you know. And uh, hmm. you know, not to not to always circle back around to the beat, but I, you know that era kind of like, I think people don't realize a lot of the bass on Revolver was a Rickenbacker. You know, really from that point forward, I think a lot of the time up until like the White Album, I think he had jazz bass that so he played a lot on the White Album, but uh, yeah, it's a ton of Rickenbacker thinking specifically about like uh, uh, Baby, You're Rich Man, you know, that kind of bass sound, which is probably one of my favorite bass sounds. So, I mean, Nick is just—he's a master at recording drums. He—you he can always recognize, like, he just has certain, kind of like, proprietary snare sounds that are just <laughs> are easy to recognize. Like, it's, man, that's just how he does it, you know. And I thought, I thought it was cool that Mike was able to step in in kind of the eleventh hour and like. Up all this stuff up together and do such a killer job of taking you know tracks that somebody else had engineered and like make it jive so well with the stuff we did at his place. And I you mean, know, I could between Nick and Mike Purcell. I could I could talk all night about how my appreciation for those dudes because that's I I can't do what they do. <laughs> I don't. I mean. You know, I guess I'm maybe in the minority of, of dudes that have been making records for this long. I've just never wanted to be an engineer. There's, You know, I, I'm always yep. kind of have my head in the clouds with all this other stuff. Well, to, I think you can. To be able to... to, be able to Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I, I was just going to say to be fortunate to have sympathetic dude like that who understand what what you want. And if you, you know, if you walk in the door and say, hey, I want to overdub this, 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 and this, like, Mike Purcell is, he's super efficient and super fast. Like, you you have to be really on point to keep up with his pace, you know, which is awesome. <laughs> that's, that's what we need. It's not like, by the time we show up at the studio, those decisions are already made for the most part it's like we have a, a pretty detailed uh, MO ready and like you know we're not sitting around navel gazing for days on there and trying to figure out which guitar we want to use or you know it's not it's not like that at all we're just ready to like knock stuff out so
0: yeah i think that comes across on the record like i can hear you know now that you say it i mean your sort of processes Get it out, get it out of your head get it on tape um and then from your standpoint it sounds like you know when the demo's done you're you're kind of you're done with it and then you've got this other these other partners who yeah. come in and and sort of figure out okay well you know how do we make this how do we you know complete this and put it put it on a record but you know you're able to kind yeah. of move on because i know some people who try to do both it's very difficult to say okay when am i done Like, if you're doing the engineering and the the songwriting, um, you could run into a trap where you end up in a loop of, you know, the engineering process sparks a new idea, and then you want to add to it, and before you know it, it's six months, and you're still not done with the song,
2: and, you
0: know, that's a really interesting process.
2: And you're working on Born to Run for a year. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I don't think we'll ever fall into that
3: fall. (laughs) Good. Uh, Good.
2: This is going to be a weird comparison, but Stay Down, um, in, a, in a weird way, reminded me of Purple Rain. And here's why. Uh, a, a while ago, I think, Jay, you, we read something at the same time about Purple Rain being really a country song. And it being influenced by traditional like Nashville country uh, songwriters. Oh. This song, Stay Down, has like a... Like, I think if you stripped it down, and I don't know if it started this way, but it has, like, this very, like, country feel to it. Um, I'm wondering if I'm totally off base with that, or if it started as sort of like an acoustic uh, song and got built up from there. What, what was the, kind of the genesis of this?
3: Well, it, it, it was never intended to be a country song, but... You know, I'm a hit from East Tennessee, and it just comes out in weird ways, you know, in, in our music, like now and back then, you know. Um, I think it, it was really, it, this is gonna be funny now, in life, the first part of the question, but like, honestly, I, I kind of wanted to get into like the Yo Latino Painful kind of vibe, with hmm. that guitar, you know? Um, the first demo I made, like it had a little Ant uh, Verbal, even you know, like our Kaplan would use, uh, or you know, kind of like a Jesus and Mary chain psycho candy, you know, kind of thing with just a floor tom and the snare. Uh, mm, yeah. But then it, it, it it's weird because to me, it's like it ha- it does have kind of like a country, little bit of twang to it, but also it has a lot of like R&B roots to it too, you know. The okay. way the the way the rhythm the rhythm section works under the song I think um I definitely didn't try to downplay the country vibe though with with the singing. You know, there's uh, some of that just can't can't be helped. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but you know, at the same time too, man. I mean, I I love country music. I, I mean, I, I have a ton of country records in my collection. You know, probably you know nothing that's been produced much past you know 1981 or 82. Uh, and that's probably a whole other podcast if you get into the the sheer horror of music row <laughs> songwriting in 2016. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not pretty, um, but yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I would sit around on to Johnny Cash, Jack, all day long. George Jones, you know, Merle Haggard, of course. Like the, the list goes on. I and mean, at the end of the day, I mean, they're just it's, it, it. It was. Um, I think I've, I've you know, I've been on the internet. Raving about this before, but like you know, it, it, at one point in time, country music was a, as unique an art form as jazz in its own way, and it was like mm-hmm. as much of an American kind of symbol before it became what you know whatever it is now. Uh, I think about it, you know Buck Owens and his Buckaroos like that. I mean that was some perfect songwriting you know, together again. Like, that's a perfect song. It can't be any better. <laughs> I mean, we could go on, you know, get me like get me started about the stuff we could talk all night. But, uh, I mean, if you feel like a country vibe from the song, I think that's
0: great. Like, I, I, I take that any day of the week. I was talking to somebody I met down here in Austin a couple weeks ago, and they're a musician in town, and we were talking about how we, like, what is now referred to as Americana, but in a lot of ways it is is actually original. It's more related to original country music than anything because modern country music is now it's kind of the most generic music form there is. It's sort of amalgamation of it, of generally everything <laughs> that's all hyper produced into a pop you know song format. It has no, almost nothing to do with sort of the roots of country music. So um, yeah, that's something I've. I don't know. I go back and I just remember my, riding in my pickup truck with my dad, you know, as a kid and then he listened to all that stuff. So to me that's what country music is. It's Merle Haggard it's all that stuff and and what goes on now I have no idea how it's even connected because it doesn't sound even remotely the same.
2: Let's, I want to move on to um just for one moment track 5. This is this might be a tie for my favorite song on the record. Um the guitars <laughs> sound gigantic. On this record, that that like bend that's going on in the in the verses, um, yeah, just like right in my wheelhouse in terms of
3: nice man,
2: um, sick sounding guitar. And then I I was I remember the first time listening to this, and it's it's getting towards the end of the song, and you're singing the chorus, and I'm like, I really hope there's some sort of like choir style outro to this song because it totally needs it and then boom it happened I was so happy (laughs) that that happened
3: well man you know Brandon he wrote arguably maybe my favorite song on the last record too like he comes in you know last time he brought in a couple of songs this time he had other ones that just didn't necessarily fit the vibe of what you know what was around them and on the rest of the record, but the, from the very first time I heard this, that one, I knew we had to we had to have it in there, and um, I mean I got to write a little bridge for it, which is fun to do, and it was actually kind of funny when he when he left the hole there with just a click for me to add something. Instead of a middle eight, it's actually only seven bars. But we just yeah. left it because we, we liked it. We liked the way it turned out. So, but yeah, man, Brandon rules. I mean, he's, he brings so much. Like, you know, we were talking earlier about me being done with, uh, with stuff once it's on the four track. But, no, it's, it's never done until he, his ideas and thought process, because he always brings something that makes a song better. Doesn't matter what the song is.
2: So, is that in you singing case, at the end? Um,
3: I sing the 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 lead vocal and the little backgrounds in that bridge, and then at the um outro, I'm doing the little call and response things, and he's singing the main
0: main vocal. Okay. The the part that sounds a little a vaguely like the Eagles, the the response part. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, when I heard that, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute!" If it's like the Eagles, I, I don't know what
3: you're talking about. Never heard of <laughs> that was some dude off the street that came in and saying, i It was me. I did it. It was me.
0: It's a great part.
2: Well, I mean, that's 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 high praise as a vocal group. The Eagles were pretty unmatched oh yeah just that stuff. oh yeah man they you
3: know there's a reason why they sold like a bajillion albums
2: it was the 70s and no, there was no a lot question. of drug taking and
3: yeah oh man right there in, in this that little front bar of the troubadour man but you know that also that's where the birds formed
2: right yeah and like, that's that's uh, that's gonna be a good segue into the next song. Unnecessary evil, the title track. Oh man. <laughs> See how we did that perfect. Perfect, <laughs> and that I believe has some twelve string on it, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah.
3: There's it's, there's a good bit of twelve string for sure.
2: And and that song reminded me, and I'm I know it was you know uh, there was videos of you playing various instruments including uh sitar which i believe makes an appearance on this song is this the only song that it appears on the album
3: um you know what it's actually on um artificial air okay but there's a bunch of there's a bunch of spots where we use tanpura, which is the you know the, the drone instrument okay and we, we, it, we, it's on uh, unnecessary evil for sure
2: this had this weird a- a- amalgamation of your sort of pop rock sensibilities combined with that like birds you know, 12 string 60 psychedelic sound. Um, it has almost this like chant vocal. Uh, it reminded me of like some sort of like, um, uh, like I, I briefly wake, like, went to a transcendental meditation class and, and uh, you know, you learn about like the chakras and all that kind of stuff. And it has this like, <laughs> sh- like very uh, eastern kind of sound uh, or to the melody and, and to the to the vocal. I'm curious as to like, were you listening to certain records or or something? Was it was there certain something that inspired this particular song?
3: Yeah, I think it's just. Uh... Kind of the cumulative effect of a lot of this we just talked about. You know, I mean, I've listened to you know all those like early bird records. You know, certainly the Beatles and you know ton, tons of Indian music. Obviously, that's been kind of a, a fascination that we've been you know getting off into like this 45 that's about to come out in particular, it, we just went full rock of rock you know, no no holds barred, like, you know, definitely, you know, I had actually, I had a pretty strong yoga practice going for about a year, and that, you know, that has, that, that's not just a physical thing, you know, it affects basically everything, uh, and that was, I think this song was probably going on during that period uh but yeah i mean i don't know I, I think it's just kind of a lifetime of being hung up on you know that time period musically even in even in jazz i mean you know the, the mid-60s like cool things kind of peaking you know for for a third or fourth time you know during that era and just but I, but I don't think that song just kind of, just like all, all the other ones, I mean, it just kind of showed up. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't. I, I didn't really have a goal of writing that certain type of song. It just, you know, if you think about it, that intro is almost kind of like a GBV kind of vibe.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Just the, the, the way that the way that guitar is it always reminds mm-hmm. me of GBV. Um, but obviously. It, kind of like unfolds into something totally different when it's those little uh, instrumental passages but I mean it's definitely like a you know Beatley kind of thing. I think you can for me it's like I have to make it I have to make a, an effort not to allow that to, to soak in into <laughs> whatever because it's just part of the DNA of whatever music we're going to try to do. You know, I, there's really no it's kind of pointless to resist. <laughs> but, you know, dudes—they once you go, go off the deep end with that, it—it it just makes an indelible impression on whatever you do after. I went for a long time where I, I couldn't stand to listen. I, I, the, the pendulum swung all the way back the other way to where I could not stand to listen to them. I had to. And then we were being in Kmart one day. Mother Nature's Son came on, and I had to leave. <laughs> like it's made me super paranoid. I had, to, I had to, just left my stuff in the buggy and walked away. So <laughs> fortunately, you know that was that that's that's over with. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, that's that may be my favorite song on the record. It's hard for me to say, but that that one makes me really happy. The way it turned out, I'm I'm super pleased with it
2: the the phrase or the yeah i guess it's a phrase unnecessary evil that's a, a, a playoff of necessary evil which is um a common phrase where does that derive from was that just something you s- was spur of the moment <laughs> yeah
3: we were i think it was like a group text we were talking about some kind of like theoretical like tour that we were talking about doing or thinking about trying to do and I, I mean, people know. Like, I think we've only played seven or eight shows. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did. We've done a ton of recording, but we just, you know, before our first record came out, we, you know, we played a show here in town, and we went down to South by Southwest. Uh, you know, half the shows we've ever played, or something, were at South by Southwest. Um, but it's just not. I just don't feel compelled to like. Number one, I just can't. You know, it's just the way, the way life is now. I just can't drop everything and go right around in a van for three weeks. I just can't do it, you know. Right. But when we were talking about, I can't remember exactly what the conversation was going back and forth, but I just said something like, you know what? It's not even a necessary evil. Thing. It's unnecessary evil. Thing. You know, that <laughs> so was a record. You know, that, well, that's the one to beat now, you know. Uh, and I think that was just, and I, honestly, I, I wasn't really thinking about it in those terms. I just think I sat down and started playing that little guitar thing, and that was just the first thing I said. And then it was just, off, you know, off off to the races after that. It's about, you know, evils.
2: Well, there's that one line in there that, like, Sticks. It's it's the earworm. It's that known to cause cancer in rats. Line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That like that's one of those th- phrases that I hear and I'm just like, oh, that's gonna be stuck on my head for like the next week. Now I'm gonna have to. <laughs> when you write something well, like then, that, guess... do you know that that's like, oh, that's a good line?
3: Well, it seems like kind of a weird thing to say, but I was thinking about you know wireless bouncing around everywhere you know we're constantly bombarded with radiation and you know wireless signal and whatever i don't know it just seems like everything we do is like poisonous or carcinogenic or something so (laughs) i think that's kind of where i was coming from Mm -hmm. but you know what can we do Well, exactly. Go off the grid and you know, sit on the side of a mountain somewhere. You know, you right. have to be of means <laughs> to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, but you know what? The people who who weren't living in that were living till they were like forty. People who lived right. off the grid two hundred years ago died because of a bear would attack them. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's, it's really like
3: funny. I was thinking about a bear eating someone. That's exactly what I was thinking just now. Right,
0: and like. Or, or they would get a minor cut and then die from some infection because they don't have
2: right penicillin. and <laughs> and now people live yeah. like into their 80s and 90s regularly and they're, there's just you know pollution and, and you know terrible additives and food and stuff like that so it's like I know that that's like the it's counterintuitive but it you know life expectancy just keeps going longer and longer but we keep doing worse yeah. and worse things so, maybe that's I think, the plan. I, I think there's a song you know, in there I, somewhere. Yeah.
3: I will say that the other the other thing about that song that's interesting to me, or just as far as the lyrical concepts, is just the whole idea of, like, recording this stuff or doing what people do, like, as artists or whatever. What you really want is to be remembered. You know, like you want, you want to make something that is remembered after you're gone, and you maybe you won't be remembered, but hopefully that record will be, or that painting, you know, that picture you paint, or whatever, you know. Uh, and there's, a, I think that 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 subject kind of comes up a couple of times in the song, which to me is, I don't know, kind of an interesting thing to approach in a two-minute song. But, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, a it's, a, it's a lot to pack so in it's there. It's fun to do. All, all those overdubs were really fun. There's, there's a lot going on in there.
2: Um, I want to ask about, uh, in the next track, Artificial Air, it's, mm-hmm. it's an odd structure to this song, which I find interesting. Um, a lot of people might expect... You know, oh, it's the you go with the verse, chorus, verse, chorus. That sort of set up bridge, chorus, and out. There are like these instrumental, uh, like droney kind of sections that kind of take up the after the first section of the song, and then there's a long part like that, and then you go back into like the main riff, and then I guess what would be the verse and chorus, and then it goes back into like there's almost like these two bridges of weird. Drone uh, parts. Just, it's the same chord, right?
0: I mean, it's basically just that chord just extended. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah.
0: Um, actually, my guitar on that song is
3: tuned in unison. It's all C sharps. Oh. Okay. I like read uh, All Tomorrow's Parties kind of deal where your guitar, like, every string is tuned in unison. And it Make some really crazy overtones. It's it's a, it's a challenge to come up with something interesting, like just voice stuff around the neck that like is interesting to listen to, other than just strumming the whole thing, <laughs> you know, unison. Um, uh, yeah. But man, that's that's that, the whole those kind of space parts are kind of driven by the lyrical idea, I would say. Because what happened was I watched that documentary, uh, The Spirit Molecule, it's about DMT research and people who, basically they just interview a bunch of people that who did clinical research on DMT and how they all sort of report the same phenomena and how that compound is naturally occurring in every life form. Plant, animal, whatever. Like it's to, it's found naturally in every living thing. So that right there is a huge, I mean, it's basically a huge signal that number one, maybe it's not meant to be. I, I, my personal view, and I mean, I've, you know, I've been retired a long time from this type of activity, but I kind of feel like. Well, the other thing is that, you know, the, when at the moment of death, when we die, our pineal gland produces a huge burst of this compound. And basically, you know, I guess what the theory is, is that it's what unhooks the soul from the body, more or less. And like the pineal gland, that was the only part of the brain the Egyptians kept for the the afterlife. I mean, you know, I could go on all night about this fascinating documentary. But anyway, like, all the subjects, and the other thing, too, that's really crazy is that these people, like, they feel like they're gone for weeks when they're in this other space, you know, but it it lasts for, like, 20 minutes. Hmm. But they all all report the same phenomena where they you know, they go further and further and further out until they are aware that they're passing through this portal where they're no longer an ego or a person. It's like they're just a soul. You know, without without going too far down a rabbit trail. But like so that's this song is kind of about this guy let's say who is, is having this experience you know and he goes further and further and further out but then it's over and he has to come back and you know go back to work or, or go back to you know whatever instead of you know making the, the 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 journey all the way to to which i feel that you know people may disagree about you know the People may disagree with this, but I kind of feel like it was meant to—it was meant to to be used one time only, kind of thing. When your body, when your brain, you know, in that in in that final moment when it's released, and that's kind of like what sends you off. (laughs) So anyway, that's like all those weird sections of the song, like, were kind of like an attempt to create that feeling. Wow, I don't I don't know how
0: I don't know how successful it was, but that was the that was the plan anyway. Well, you definitely get the. I mean, that's that's really really fascinating. I, I when I listen to him, I'm like, you definitely get that sense of like it it starts to you you don't you're anticipating a change and it doesn't happen, so you kind of you definitely feel like you're moving forward. You're moving forward almost to like you're suspended out into the you know just because you go past the expectation of when a change would occur like mentally then i'm extended like where are we going you know where's this right. going to turn and all of a sudden then it shifts and you're like oh, okay so you definitely get that sense uh you know i didn't quite obviously hadn't put it together to that specific intent but you know emotionally <laughs> it's there for sure what was the name Ooh. of the movie Oh, it's called uh, it's called
3: DMT, the spirit molecule, huh, okay. and it's on Netflix.
0: I mean, you, I'm pretty sure you can stream it there or whatever. But sounds interesting.
3: I mean, Check it's a lot out. of like you know, it's a it's it gets a little maybe a little dry, like in terms of just kind of like the clinical, you know, a bunch of psychologists. It's a lot of like talking heads, you know. But what they're saying is incredible. <laughs> it's it's Something else, and check. just the fact that all of these people from all of these different walks of life have the same—they they all have the same ex- shared experience, you know, right? And just the fact that it it's found in every living thing—that's
0: just awesome. amazing. <laughs> That's definitely the kind of stuff that I love to find on Netflix. So I will check that out.
2: Cool. Yeah, yeah. There's always a ton of wild and weird uh, documentaries, on there, yeah, <laughs> yeah and apparently this one stars Joe Rogan.
3: Oh yeah, oh, I yeah, just looked I, it up. I, he's, I think he's a he's a big proponent, from what I from what I understand. <laughs> he, he definitely, he's he's been out there. He's been through the portal and came back.
0: <laughs> wow, huh. I had no idea this this whole world existed. I can't wait to go watch it now.
2: You, if you go on a Netflix or Amazon Fire And you go into like documentary sections You will go down weird rabbit holes That you never expected to go yeah.
0: what, what are my recommendations Going to look like after this
2: Man I had no idea <laughs> I wonder if this is connected to um, uh, Ayahuasca In any way It is uh, Yeah, okay. that's,
3: that's what it is It's the same Same deal
2: I only know that because of Howard Stern. Because uh, Robin on Howard Stern had taken it when she went to, what was it, Peru? Yeah. So. <laughs> Probably. And it made her yeah, vomit horribly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gotta get that out of the way. That's why I'm not going to Peru. <laughs> the end of the day, track eight. Um, this is the song that. I think most uh, what I would describe as cl- the closest to becoming epic <laughs> in that it uh, starts out with a very simple guitar figure um, on the acoustic and um, I can hear where uh, did the vocal inform the guitar line or did the guitar line in- inform the vocal for that? Well,
3: yeah, it kind of just made it all up at the same time. Like so. The four-track recording I made, it was all on one track. Like, I okay. just played the acoustic and sang it at the same time kind of thing. And tried to keep, even though the way we tracked it down, it wasn't possible to do exactly that way. Like, I definitely tried to keep it in that mode, you know. I just kind of wanted that feel, the feel of like, oh, it's just a dude, you know, playing a, playing a guitar and singing the song to himself. And then the band just drops in and they keep, you know, and then they keep going rather than, you know, all these different isolated events being mixed together. And then, uh, you know, I think when Mike mixed it, he kind of went for, in those verses, he kind of went for the smaller drums like the demo. You know, I I sent it to him just as kind of a reference or whatever. And I think he did a really cool job of, like, incorporating some of the vibe from the demo into this bigger recording Yeah, that, that's a cool one that,
2: that, that's a I mean
3: I don't know a lot, you know a lot, these, a lot of these songs are pretty sad man you know how so well I mean I, I just you know, when I think back to the time of like coming up with that one I, I just honestly it was pretty bummed <laughs> you know and I, I think it's it kind of ended up that way on the record but hopefully there's you know, it has some hope there too, you know, or even, you know, squared up is kind of that woman squared that actually that one squared up and look away. I think I wrote all three of those in the same week. Wow. So they, so they were always like, kind of, I didn't know if they were going to be in the middle of the record or the end or whatever, but they kind of, they kind of go together, you know?
0: Yeah. I kind of picked that. I mean, obviously the, end of the record is much different than the beginning and these songs definitely sound like they to me like they go together um i think what was really interesting is that they the you could we've heard other records we've reviewed other records where um if you put three songs like this together it starts to pull the record down but i don't think that happens here i think the if you look at squared up there's there's enough going on in that song where even though the tempo is a little down and it is a little bit, I guess, melancholy, the introduction of the piano part, like the pedal steel at the end, there's yeah. all these moments that just keep, if you're going to get, you know, you, if you fall into a bit of a law listening, there's enough of these little moments that happen that just keep it interesting and keep pulling you back in. Um, which I, uh, I thought was really, really well done. That all like, was that all on the demo, or did some of that come through on the production side?
3: Uh, there, was, there was a little guitar over there that I had on the demo. We added. Brennan's Brennan's got the only electric guitar in there, and it's e mm.
4: Like
3: he did this, he did this cool thing where he like harmonized with the Nulltron. It kind of added it, added to what was going on with the Mellotron, which on the on the demo, there was a string sound that it was, you know, Nick has one of those super sick Mellotrons with the waves, you know? Mm. That thing is amazing. I, I tried to put it on every song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he added that. The pedal steel, I mean, I don't want to say it was an afterthought, but, like, I definitely had the song done for a while, Before I started to hear that, you know, Mm -hmm. and Nick was down to Nick was down to put it in, so we put that in, and then uh, yeah, the little piano that that was there before. Oh, the other thing that was cool, my my friend Nate Fender has hooked me up with so many things. Like he's the best, Um, but I, I I really wanted a nylon string guitar just for that. For that song You know mm. And You know Like with the The finger style No picking And he totally Hooked me up And like That's still Probably my favorite guitar Just to sit around and play it's so fun But that was To me that Gave it kind of A unique sound Versus it, I think the last time I tracked one of those Was on, on like gee, oh, Holy grail You know Which is almost you know, I just I never had one You know And that The one we used for that Was a rental Anyway, shout out to Nate White, the homie right there He came through for us.
2: <laughs> Good job, yeah. Nate. It definitely what gives the do. whole song <laughs> like
0: a It definitely gives the whole song like a unique kind of bed just the sound of that guitar yeah. to build on top yeah. of. That's
2: squared up a little bit. I want to move on to look away. I mentioned earlier that I thought there was one song that was like sort of sonically in the same space as the first record, and I feel like this one is the one that could kind of work on uh Sisyphus says it has some of the traits with the big guitar on this on this uh particular track. Um mm-hmm. was this Something that was left over from that era, or was this completely new to this recording session, uh, or not session, but uh, you know the songs for this record?
3: No, well, it was uh, I'm trying to think of this actually like the timeline. Um, I would say that maybe since says we had it finished, but we didn't really. I mean, we had that record finished forever, like before we figured out what to do with it. You know and I think that man we had it it was already done and we were just kind of it was just kind of hanging out in limbo but like i said you know there's always songs coming along behind just they just do you know yeah that that one was definitely written in you know in terms of like whatever was going to come next okay uh, and it's actually you know I mean, it's the gospel, basically. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the 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 stance of that song, you know, you're talking about, I mean, just what you know what it talks about. Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound like gospel music, but to me, I mean, to me, it kind of does. When that's guitars, like when all these guitars drop in, you know, and that's kind of like having church to me, you know. <laughs>
2: I'd I'll, go to I'll, church I'll, if I could I'll, find a church I'll, that sounded like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, are you are you starting a church? Because more well, interest would be know, that, if it sounded like this. That's probably the. I think I'll
3: let Al Green take care of that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's to me, it's a perfect. It's a perfect closing track. Like it has the right vibe. Where when I listen to that song and it ends, I'm like, well, I'm ready to start the record over immediately.
0: Yeah. Well it also it also helps that and I wanna thank you for this Yes. A ten song record. Thank
2: you. And none of them (laughs) are near five minutes. Like it feels like
0: a real record. Like it doesn't feel like, hey, here are all the songs that I have right now and I'm as many as I can. It actually feels like a complete thought from start to finish that yes, at the end it feels like a conclusion, but yet I wanna go back and do it again. And I'm not so exhausted, <laughs> you know, mentally f- from the record that I can go back and listen to it again. Um, so I'm, i was really just uh, overall, that just happy at the, how well it was put together and the fact that it's a cohesive, but still not overly extended, you know, record.
3: Well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you say that because we definitely wanted to we definitely want to make a shorter statement than last time. Like, hmm. a 60-minute album, that's a really long album, you know? hmm And we definitely get put some thought into, like, writing, you know, shorter songs and making things just more concise and, like, definitely once we decided that we were for sure going to go DIY with the whole, you know, vinyl pressing and everything, like, when you get past a certain length per side, you you lose a lot of depth. You know you want the you want the biggest grooves you can have. You know with the amount of information that you're trying to put in there. So uh, I think I don't know. I mean I guess rubber sole is a couple minutes shorter, but it's like 38 minutes. So. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a good. It goes back pretty fast.
0: Yeah, I, I, it, I think it, it works really, well, well from that standpoint too. So, I can't. I'm anxious to hear the LPs. You know, <laughs> it's always
3: a thrill to it, drop the needle and listen to it on vinyl.
0: Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? I, I've heard um, a little bit here and there from other uh, artists who've made records and, and people who run record labels. Just at the uh, what was once a simple thing to press a record is now kind of turning into a a bit of a major ordeal, especially especially for small artists who aren't doing huge runs. Um, what is yeah. that? How's it going? Is that been Just getting well. I mean, we've we've been. Uh, I think we've
3: been lucky. Like you know, the one cool thing about the you know the pledge setup is you can kind of let people know on the front end. Hey, you know, we're not this whole process with the vinyl pressing doesn't really start until we, you know, re- until we reach this certain point that we have to get to to even make it possible, you know,
4: because
3: mm-hmm. uh, we, I mean, we're just, you know, we can't just chunk down. <laughs> like, I wish we could, you know, and just not, mm-hmm. not, not have to worry, but we just, we just can't. So, uh, we had, like, the last little 45 that we put out, was pressed by this company, Got A Groove. And they did such an awesome job like with the color variants. Just everything about it we were so stoked about. So, we, we used them and they've just been super helpful every step of the way. It's just totally pro. Everything, every mistake you could possibly make in setting up a vinyl release, like, they've seen it happen already. <laughs> and so they've, there's a lot of information that they make available. Where it's like, hey, you, you know, it ha- all these things have to be done in these certain ways to ensure success here. So they make it really pretty simple. Um, but you have to. I mean, there are definitely a lot of a lot a lot more boxes to check than if you just want to go get a CD made. You know, that's yeah. that's. Basically, there's like two steps to that. Your master and your art, boom, mm-hmm. you're done. But we had, uh, the the guy that cut our lacquers is here local in Nashville. He's been cutting records for like 45 years. So he does all the Velocity of Sound stuff. And again, their the Velocity of Sound has been like, one of the most honorable and coolest dudes to work with on music like and he totally hooked us up with those guys and all those 45s we've been so happy about the the uh you know the, just the transition to vinyl and the way they sound so we just wanted them to do that same thing 10 times <laughs> for this you know so I feel like we've been we've we've had a lot of a lot of help along the way so you know they, we didn't have to figure out a
0: whole lot can you talk a little bit about the artwork for the record i think it's it's really different I think it's really 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 uh, gorgeous who, who did the artwork and what's the story well i that
3: was a painting i did um mm-hmm. and you know the last the the last record i did the the covers i guess the only the only release thing where I didn't paint a cover was that uh, Soft Places forty five. That was a that was just a photo on the front. But uh mm-hmm. you know, really since about two thousand and eleven or so, like i have been doing a lot more painting and trying to keep something on the easel at all times if I if I could and even you know, taking some commissions here and there. People wanted like I didn't I had a commission one time to paint Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, but anyway, yeah, like, you know, before I, before I kind of jumped in with both feet and started doing music, trying to, like, devote my whole life to doing music, like, I was kind of halfway pursuing, like, a fine art degree as a painter and blah, 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 you know. But anyway, the... There was actually another picture, which... If you go on Pledge, the, the Pledge little store we have, it's actually uh, up there, too. And somebody bought it. But I got off into this process of trying to do symmetry, which normally, it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's forbidden, but it's like, not something you generally want to go after with with fine art, like perfect symmetry, you know, or sure. as perfect as you can make. Um, yep. But I think it was kind of a byproduct of making a bunch of tie dyes, (laughs) where, you know, I kind of went nutso with making tie dyes there for a while, Mm -hmm. and that's a case where, at least for certain types, you want the folds to be as symmetrical as possible. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took that same idea to canvas and also... I started drawing all the lines with Gorilla Glue because it blows up all crazy and looks, when you paint over it, it looks like it's welded. Mm. So so I started getting into these few pieces I made where I wanted to try to make them look kind of like stained glass. Mm-hmm. And those ended up being, there was this one called Death Mask that I was going to use but then Stuart Pack came over to the house one night and he was like, oh, dude, he use this one. <laughs> and he he did the layout and everything. He's designed pretty much everything from, like, Last Call for Vitriol on out that I've done, like, basically every record since, you know, 2002. And so, basically, that's all he had to say. I was like, cool, let's use that one instead. <laughs> uh, and yeah. so that ended up being it but it seemed it
0: seemed to fit the vibe of the record and just love the way it looks definitely I'm a designer so I appreciate that uh, you've got a visual theme going on with this band which is kind of cool using your artwork so (laughs) yeah looking forward to seeing how that plays out well I mean as
3: long I'm going to keep it going as long as I can you know as long as there's something cool laying around yep uh the last thing I painted was Willie Stargill. This guy had me paint a, a picture of Willie Stargill doing yard. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Fun to do. Portraits, I mean that's that's a whole other deal. So I mean, I I have some training that, you know, you have to get into like measuring Everything at time and you know the proportions have to be just so, or you'll never get a likeness that yeah. that
0: actually like guys, you know, where somebody looks at and goes, "Oh, yeah, it's Willie Stargell." Right. Not oh, it's Willie Stargell with a broken nose, or just oh, a very oh, right, yeah, large some some, some some dude in a
3: baseball uniform. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Right so we should just uh since we completely demolished our, our one hour uh time limit um we should try oh, to man. get wrapped up here and um mention that the pledge campaign is currently ongoing um people can head over yeah. to pledgemusic.com um backslash what is the backslash on that I didn't write that down if you google Lisa memory yeah, and, and, and pledge music it'll come up
3: yeah, basically totally. i think there's a either or like slash projects slash belief memory or if you just put in slash the leisure memory it'll take you there
2: gotcha okay and you, are there any plans for shows i know you mentioned about only having done a few shows at this point but when the record comes out do you think there'll be like a record release show in your in uh nashville or, or anything like that
3: and probably so. I mean, it's it's my fault that we don't play more than we do. Like, I'm, I guess I'm the chief. Like,
2: uh,
3: I don't know. I'm I take the blame.
2: <laughs> well, you're busy. You got work and and kids and b- baseball and yep. <laughs> lawns to mow. I mean, there's.
3: Well, man, yes. Yeah, like, there's you know, there's only so many hours, so many days, and so many weeks. Right. Like. I start looking at okay, the amount of time it takes to like round up seven dudes, book a practice spot, you know, wood shed up a set, go sit at the place all night, play, load up, go home. Like I could write four songs in that amount of time (laughs) and make demos, you know.
4: Right. So
3: I think ultimately it just comes, you know, it just comes down to what you most enjoy doing. I mean, if you you know, if you if you want to be purely selfish and just be like, oh man, I enjoy writing and recording. That's kind of what what I'm in this for, you know. <laughs> so I I don't want to bum anybody out by not you know. Not like it's, it's not like there's anybody you know knocking our doors down and wanting us to come play shows, but. There may be a proud few that would like to see us do it, I don't want well, really to disappoint
2: them. Well, I, I, I'm sure there would be. Uh, I know I'd be, I'd be up for it. I, if I have to drive to Nashville, that I might have to make like a vacation out of it, out of, for a couple of days. But uh, I do oh, enjoy man. that town quite a bit. So, uh-huh. uh, a lot to do. Get some. Get some barbecue while I'm down there. And there we go. Uh, and just to let people know, it is pledgemusic.com
0: backslash the of memory. Um, and there's some unique stuff on here people should check out. Cassettes. Yeah. Cassette version of the record, which is interesting. Um, tie-dyes. A <laughs> bunch of artwork. Are you part of the... Uh, I know we've, we've seen vinyl come back. I know I've embraced that. Tim's embraced that. Uh, there's rumblings of people... Collecting cassettes. Uh, are you in that minority?
3: I mean, I mean I
0: still have
3: a bunch of cassettes. Like they, you know, they kind of never went away for me.
2: Hmm. I mean, I, I still have some cassettes. You know, like how is he you going to listen at the time? <laughs> well, I
3: mean, I don't know. For me, like you know, being being the in the four tracks I mean it it's it's a constant need. I'm constantly like dreading the day when it's, when I run out of tapes cuz now they're you know I bought a 100 XL2s like 10 years ago. They were a dollar each. Mm-hmm. Now they're like $6 each.
0: Wow. Oh. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. A little huh. a little piracy. <laughs> yeah.
3: Or something. I don't know. what I guess it's just a free market. You know, can't be a libertarian and grouse too much about the high prices of XL twos. <laughs> uh,
2: okay, we got. We all have to go to bed, respectively. We we're all going to go to our separate rooms and go to work tomorrow. So, <laughs> John, thank you so much for spending this much time with us. Well, yeah, thank a, you guys. A weekday evening.
3: I'm just, I'm just thrilled that you cared that much about the record that you want to talk about it.
0: So, uh, congratulations on another solid piece of work, and uh, I think a record yes. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy for for a long time. So, keep it up. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I ho- yes.
2: I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, we'll do this again in like two years. Let's and do it. me in, man. I'm down for that. Alright, and I want to remind everybody who's listening, as we mentioned, go to the Pledge page, and then you can also go to iTunes, leave us some positive feedback. Go to Patreon to become a subscriber for the podcast. And, um, that's it. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash Out or Requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a
1: review page at digmeoutpodcast.com.